It's Wednesday, April 27, 2022, and this is KBIA's Views of the News. Our weekly roundtable on media behaviors comes to you from the studio in the Reynolds Journalism Institute. I'm Amy Simons, and here with me are my Missouri School of Journalism colleagues, Kathy Kiley and Ernest Perry. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good evening. It's good to be here with you both. We've got a lot to talk about this week, including what I suppose was the inevitable death of CNN Plus and Twitter accepting Elon Musk's buyout offer. But we're going to start with something we don't normally have on this program. We're going to pick back up from last week's cliffhanger. We were talking about a think piece that was on our blog about whether it was time for newspapers to stop filling print pages with national and international news and keep it local. And Kathy, you and Ernest had had some thoughts about this. Um, And we were talking about the really very real fact that for some, the local paper may be the only source of national and international news, and that papers are shrinking already, filling pages with stories from wire services, and that uh, helps add back some of the heft. Kathy, we were pretty much out of time when you said you have a possible solution to this issue. So tell us about it. Well, uh, my idea is that uh, the newspaper business should emulate uh, Major League Baseball or uh, the NFL. And, uh, we, of course, we'd need to get an antitrust exemption for this. But uh, but I think what would be helpful is um, that in the big league um, sports arena, mm-hmm. um, you have certain teams that make a lot of money that are the New York Times or the Washington Post of their leagues like the Yankees or the Dallas Cowboys. And they are all part of, uh, they're parts of leagues that really share revenue. um, And that enables teams in Cleveland or Green Bay to operate. And sometimes there are owners who don't really like to share the revenue, but it's always pointed out to them, you know, you really wouldn't have a league if you didn't have the Green Bay teams or the Cleveland teams, the teams from towns that don't make as much money, don't generate as much revenue. And I think uh, news organizations could take a page from that. Uh, It would require a public policy change. It would require an antitrust exemption. But I think if there were a way for news organizations to share revenue, uh, the big dogs who are doing very well, uh, like the Washington Post and the New York Times, Uh, would be able to subsidize local news. And I think the benefit of that um, you're really seeing, and I think a lot of people in large news organizations feel it, that without local news, you really can't spot those trends. You can't do the big national stories unless you have people, boots on the ground, really ferreting out what's happening. I mean, you cannot connect the dots unless you collect the dots, and we need local reporters to do that. So how would you envision those subsidies working? Uh, well, there would be a pot of money, and uh, and it would it would be shared. There would have to be almost like a commissioner, you know, and you would have to. This would have to be. It it may involve some regulation, yeah. um, but uh, but I think one one advantage of that is that when um, for consumers, if there were an organization uh, like that, if I'm reading the St. Louis Post Dispatch and they link to another story in another publication or they mention a story in another publication, if I have the ability to pay for a single view of that story rather than have to subscribe to the publication Mm -hmm. in order to see it, 
I pay for my news. I don't have to pay a lot, but it goes into that revenue would go into a shared pot that would then be distributed among news organizations generally. I am not a financial person, but I think so how to work out the details, Mm -hmm. I think, um, would be uh, for a a financial brain bigger than mine. But I do know that years ago, Rupert Murdoch, and say what you will about his politics, he cares about papers, he was trying to sell the publishers of papers on something like this, and they were just too dumb to see in what danger they were. But I I think something like this could bring, could be hope for uh, local news, and I think, um, I I mean, I just think it's an idea that's worth exploring. Uh, I, it's, every idea is worth exploring, I think, at this point. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that is a big concern is the fact that you have uh, the, the private equity firms and the, and the hedge fund uh, operators who are buying up these properties, and they're mainly buying it up so that they can whittle it down and then resell it to someone else for for a profit and it's not necessarily for the public good and and so I think what you're ta- what, you, what you're talking about is trying to create something that that does take the public good into consideration which is desperately needed in a, in a lot of these communities because I mean we have right now we have significant uh, news deserts in the Midwest and in 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 in, in the South and 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 in 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 the in the West, not any necessarily along the coast. Any place that's not metropolitan, really, exactly, yeah. Any place that's not metropolitan, and that becomes a problem, especially when you start talking about trends. And what happens is that the the the, the big newspapers, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others. They have a very hard time connecting to those communities because they are doing parachute journalism where they pop in when there's something happening, most of the time negative, Bad. either man-made mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Or, or nature, and then they're back out again, and that's the only time you see them. And that, that becomes a problem in trying to develop any kind of relationship with those communities. So this might be a way. This yeah, and that's what you're that. missing. I mean, if you have a local news organization or local people who are out there covering this day in, day out, um, then you they have those kinds of relationships and they can find those stories that otherwise, I think, just go completely missing. Right. One of the things, as we were talking about this very briefly last week, I wasn't exactly sure where we were going with this in terms of the subsidy, if it was going to literally be you know, cash subsidies for hiring people or other resources or something a little bit more along the lines of what the New York Times actually announced yesterday that they're going to be adding. Um, Dean McKay's next endeavor with the paper is going to be something that almost feels a little bit like a for-profit version of what we see from the Missouri Independent here covering state politics, where there's going to be a one-year fellow investigative reporting fellowship team he's heading up that's going to basically be having open source investigations for publication. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, this is an expression of the concern that I think, and this is why I think something like what I've just floated, mm-hmm. the idea of sort of a major league uh, for for news organizations um, might work because you can see this is the New York Times, even though it's doing very well in terms of its bottom line, is concerned about what happens uh, when they don't have those news outlets to turn to, when they don't have those contacts in local communities. And 
I think what the New York Times is doing is admirable, but it still doesn't build the kind of consistent relationships, embedded relationships that Ernest has been talking yeah. about. And so I think for that, you need to have people who are, they're not just coming in for a one-year fellowship. And the other problem with that, with the Bacay idea, and I, th- I think it's a great thing that he's doing, but I think the idea of saying, we're going to do an investigative fellowship. Once again, Some investigations could take more than the one year that the could. fellowship takes. And, and it also, and it also, it puts the emphasis on the negative. We're mm-hmm. going to blow the lid off this town. And I think in order to to really find out what's happening in a community, you have to report the good with the bad. And um, and unless you're gonna do that, you're gonna miss a lot of stories and you will not have the trust of the community. So I think something that allows people who are in the community to develop and have a sustained news presence is what we really need. I mean, in order for, to me, in order for this to work, you're gonna have to uh, bring in, not bring in people, but you're going to have to hire people who live in those communities. I mean, if you're even talking about what uh, Dean Bacay in the New York Times is trying to do, if you're going to if you're going to do an investigation, say in uh, Southwest Missouri, you're going to have to get someone who understands Southwest Missouri in order to be able to do that effectively and in a way that really is going to connect with that community, and then maybe possibly show how what's happening there could be. Uh, something that's happening in a lot of other places and what oftentimes when news organizations decide to do these types of things including New York Times Mm -hmm. they will bring in people from other places train them in New York or wherever and then send them back out well that's not I mean that's not gonna gonna get you what what you're really looking for there and and even if you go and look at the websites of these of, of the New York Times the Washington Post does this uh, you have others uh, other news organizations when you start looking at their fellows oftentimes they, they're coming from these prestigious places and all and everywhere else getting trained and then sent back out and there's a there's a lack of sustainability in that model that that only exacerbates the problem you're trying to solve and creates an elite class within journalism right yesterday morning the los angeles county sheriff held a news conference to announce he was targeting an la times journalist and two of his political adversaries in a criminal leak investigation for that journalist reporting on what really looks to be a departmental cover-up. This news conference yesterday, uh, and and you can see photos all over the internet, including on our Lynx blog, he, he had, you know, a poster of the two political adversaries and a pointing stick to this, jur- and, and pointed to the journalist's face. This was just nothing but unadulterated retaliation. Well, and it was uh, it, it smacked of police state, you know. Quite literally. But yeah, no, and you, I mean, you know, you, uh, I mean, it was something like paging Vladimir Putin. I, you know, hello, this is the kind of thing that you'd expect to see in Russia or some uh, dictatorship led by a strongman. Um, so I, I believe the uh, the sheriff has walked back a little he, bit today, he, but he uh, has walked back. Uh, in part because of tremendous pressure put upon him, both by journalist organizations, by the uh, by the Los Angeles Times itself, Kevin Merida and his legal team, um, politicians in the area. What she had been reporting on was a minutes 
plural long video surveillance video from inside the jail that showed an officer putting his knee on the neck of a incarcerated person who was already handcuffed and was reporting on excessive force in that in that situation so it's an important story too that needed to be uncovered oh absolutely and that therein lies the problem is that look there you know there was an, an egregious incident that happened in the jail in which you as the sheriff are responsible for and instead of trying to be transparent about it and saying hey we we recognize that this was an issue we want the entire story to come out uh we want you to also know that we're investigating it you you get involved in some sort of cover-up get caught and then you want to try to attack the people who caught you i mean how did you think that was going to turn out i mean that's the thing that i understand but again this goes back to something i've talked about before elected officials who are in, are engaged in law enforcement is a problem. The way in which we set up these sheriff's departments across the country is a problem because they're more concerned about getting reelected and pleasing a certain constituency than they are about actual law enforcement. And until we deal with that problem, we're going to continue to have this. So, Kathy, this isn't the first time. I mean, this happens regularly with sheriff's departments across the country. Uh, And I think that's a really good point. This happened in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. which is media saturation, and it is a a city with a very powerful news organization Mm -hmm. that can go after him. If this happens in a small town. And it has. And it has. <laughs> and it likely um, does on yes, the daily. We don't know about it. Right. And which is, again, partly the reason we're talking about no a, a news desert, what organizations are out there, don't have the deep pockets, are much easier to bully. Um, and so this is a very dangerous thing. The other thing I'll say about this is that in this, you know, I think we've all seen and experienced this kind of bully boy tactics before. Um, but it is in the current environment uh, with um, uh, the threat levels being turbocharged by social media. I think when you call out and have a picture and a pointing stick at a female reporter, um, it really raises a danger level. When you have a police officer doing that in a public way, um, you know, this woman probably needs some protection right now. I mean, the other thing that bothers me about this is this sort of, you know, him coming out saying that this was theft, that the 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 the, the video being exposed, it was stolen from. And last time I checked, that video was the property of the county, the county of Los Angeles, meaning the taxpayers and the taxpayers. So. Again, that's there's this sort of belief that once you know, once I'm elected into this position, then I have the authority yeah, to do I'm all. Yeah, I'm the king. Of, yeah, I'm the king. You know, and, and, and it's we saw the same thing here in Missouri with um, Governor Parson wanting to prosecute a reporter from the St. Louis Post Dispatcher who, who turned up something on a government website, government data, public data, and, and he was trying to help. Exactly. <laughs> he was. Exactly. He, he, was, he was pointing out the security flaw in the website. Yeah. Okay, let's take a moment and give our condolences to CNN Plus. 
You know, I saw a headline on a television gossip site that said that that app made it two Scaramucci's before meeting <laughs> its inevitable demise. That reference, Ernest is cracking up, he likes that one. That's a reference, of course, to former President Trump's communication director, Anthony Scaramucci, who was in that job for a whopping 10 days. Yeah. Now, we were talking about this couple of weeks ago on this program just last week yeah (laughs) it was like two three weeks two three weeks ago like right at the launch time right that week that it launched which was at the same time as the discovery was it our fault i don't know (laughs) when i popped into travis mcmillan's office last week he's like i'm gonna go pull that back up so you can see that segment again on our youtube page on our facebook but I mean, we knew this was going to happen, right? But did we think it was going to happen this quickly? No, I did not think it was going to happen this quickly. But we, we We're all said that, right? We, <laughs> you know, we all said that there just didn't seem to be enough there to run a streaming service. And I think Discovery went in and looked at it and went like. Oh no, we can, we're not gonna. Stop and, but you know, kudos this. for them because yeah. it's like fail fast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, they, they definitely did. did. They failed fast, and um, and I would say yes, tear that bandaid off as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, but what's going to happen to Chris Wallace? That's well, my question. and so there is a piece on our links blog. He has talked to people from the New York Post, and he says, "Don't worry about him." Because, you know, he's Chris Wallace. And he raises the point that the people we should be worried about are those 300 plus staffers who were brought in to develop the programming for this app, who were literally blindsided by it. And um, it's true. Like CNN is going to try to find some other positions. They've invited them to apply for other open positions within the news organization. But that's a pretty hefty number of journalists brought in there for such a short experiment. No, absolutely. I mean, I think this is something that, I mean, I think we talked about this last week when yeah. we talked about Netflix and the issues that-, that And we're going to talk about Netflix again yeah, in a second, but go yeah. ahead. But I mean- it, you, there's only so many streaming services that one can buy. I mean, at some point, you're going to go like, wait a minute, you know, I can't afford to pay for all of these streaming services. I, I, I decided to cut the cord to save money, and now it's costing me more money. And I think this is what's happening with, with, uh, with, with CNN, uh, and eventually the parent company Discovery now yeah. is going like, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, are we going to put this as a part of the bundle? What value does it bring? When we're when we're bundling all of our all of our properties here into one streaming service, all of a sudden you find yourself back into I cut the cord and now I've replaced it with another cord. And so Netflix did report its first ever drop off in subscription uh, subscribers last week, which does kind of beg that question. And and this was. One of the ways on Brian Stelter's Reliable Sources on CNN on Sunday, which incidentally he was supposed to have a daily program on CNN Plus, but as they were talking about this, um, one of the ways that he and his panel were explaining this away is that the average consumer sets aside something like $40, between $40 and $50 a month for streaming services. And as you continue to add to that, you max out on that budget. So part of that makes me wonder too, are we at this point where maybe right now, Netflix is at the point of the year where some of their best shows are either over or are in production? And are we at a point as consumers where we're now streaming service hopping? So I'm waiting, like Hulu has that that series, The Dropout, that's all about um, 
Theranos. So I want to watch that. I'm going to make sure I'm subscribed to Hulu right now. When that's over and if I'm over it, I'm going to not bother with Hulu until the the Handmaid's Tale comes back. But Netflix has something, so I'm going to go there for two or three months and go back and forth. That's possible. I mean, that's, that's possible what people are doing. And, and so what it does is it's it puts a lot of pressure on those it, networks. It, it puts pressure on the, it put pressure on those streaming services yeah. to 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 have some sort of product that can keep people on that streaming service service year round and not jumping around from place to place. Yeah, it it does make me wonder though if ultimately the answer to all this is some sort of an a la carte option. Um, and I, I recognize, and I don't know how how doable that is in terms of making the money. But it's kind of like what I was talking about with news services. You know, I might want to read a story. I don't want to subscribe for six months or nine months and then have to go to the pain. And what you're describing, mm-hmm. uh, Amy, is a real pain. You know, having to cancel a service, re up. So, but if you could just pay for the thing you want to watch at that moment, I think a lot of consumers would like that, would opt for it. And I think the question is, what is the price point that works for the companies and will still draw the consumers? Okay, so Twitter's got a new owner. Remember what we said last week about the board working to limit Elon Musk's efforts to take over the company, to keep him off that board? Money talks. Not even two Scaramucci's later, (laughs) Twitter has accepted a $43 billion offer and he's taking the company private. I'm going to use that Scaramucci line for as much as I can. I'm getting some mileage out of it. Well, you better do it now because we'll forget who he is pretty quickly (laughs) because he didn't last long enough. Well, he's been on Big Brother too, Celebrity Big Brother. He's (laughs) going to keep his name out there. All right. He extends uh, his half Yes, he does. <laughs> um, but some of the things, too, there are a lot of people really upset about this Musk takeover. Our colleague Damon Kiso even quoted in The Missourian about this today. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things, though, Elon, Elon Musk is saying he's going to try and do on the platform, give users the edit button that they have wanted for so long, um, put an end to spam bots make the algorithm more, um, uh, create an open source on the algorithm and make it more transparent as well. It's one thing to talk about all of these. It's almost like campaigning and it's a whole lot easier to campaign than it is to govern. Right, and therein lies the problem. And let's remember, Elon Musk likes to make money. So if any of these things that he's talking about doing gets in the way of him making money, rest assured, we will never see well, that. Well, <laughs> right. And, you know, you talk about that and it's, it's you know, Tesla. The cars have this huge price tag, right? But it's not just the car that he's making the money on. It's every tire change. It's the constant supercharging that you have to use as chargers. It's the long term. Right, right, right. And so to me, I mean, I think that's, that's the whole deal. And... There may not be any regulation on Twitter within the U.S. Oh, but there's but a whole there's lot abroad. But a lot abroad, and he's going to have to fight through a lot of that, so he can talk to his buddy Zuckerberg about mm-hmm. what that brings in. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I think you know, it's it's um, it, it sounds good, mm-hmm. but we, we'll see whether or not he's capable of actually doing it. Well, any of that. and there's no logic to this pur- purchase. I mean, as you said, he likes to make money, but. Twitter is not making a lot of money. No. And um, I mean, the the big problem for Twitter all along has been how to monetize 
all that content that people are putting on there. And I think that's something that we lose. I mean, people like us who use Twitter or and, okay, and are, are like on it. people like us, I'm pointing to me and Kathy. Right, yeah, We're leaving Ernest out of that us. Ernest, Ernest is... <laughs> I'm, I'm okay He's an with that. I know. We're, but, I'm just um, making sure we're transparent there. But yeah. a lot of people in the news business yeah. use it as a marketing tool, mm-hmm. and uh, or as a way, you know, it's like a, a you know, it's the AP wire in I your was pocket, say, or like if, a scanner, if you follow mm-hmm. the right people. Um, but I think in the end, uh, you know, at what at what point is f- first of all, at what point does the company not? I mean, and that may be part of the strategy of taking it private because investors are going to get turned off because there really hasn't yeah. been a solution a yeah to to making the money and i think and the verge has a good story about mm-hmm. this uh, i think today or yesterday about the the financial problems um that are facing twitter and so i just i don't know what that's all about yeah i'm still trying to figure it out myself because from a from a business standpoint it just doesn't make any sense He's way overpaid but, but exactly yeah. way overpaid for it but but then when you sort of look at it you you kind of go is this something that he's hoping to use to keep his name, but be his platform. I mean, something that the former president tried to do it creating his own. That didn't work. Uh, you know, yes, but you know, <laughs> Elon just went out and bought it uh-huh. and said, "Hey, I'm going to buy. I'm going to just go out and buy Twitter and make it my platform." Well, you know that I'm not sure whether or not that's going to work, and whether or not he's going to be able to get a return on its investment. And as as we've talked about on this show. Twitter is not the end all be all. It's lost a lot of its its um, cachet, mm-hmm. uh, and the stock on, was going down at the last I looked right, uh, right. as of this morning. I think you know the other thing is I think it's already taken a reputational hit uh, because I, of his I think purchase. That does, uh, his purchase. I think it had taken yeah. the reputational hit even going back into True. the Trump administration when it was used as a megaphone. Right. So. Maybe we're a little bit early to be talking about the 2022 Pulitzer Prizes. But before we go, I do want to talk about it. Pulitzer Day is coming a week from this Monday. There's an effort underway as we lead into that to change the rules and only allow organizations which are transparent about their diversity to be eligible for this high award. Um, This letter is out there in part in reaction to um, some information put out by Dr. Meredith Clark, who is at Northeastern University and had been instrumental for many years in the Newsleader Association's diversity study done every year. And she noted that 2,500 surveys were sent out to newsrooms across the country and just a few more than 300 returned. And that the idea behind this letter is until news leaders in newsrooms across the country are willing to be transparent about the efforts they're making to diversify within their organizations, they shouldn't be eligible for the highest awards within the profession. Good luck with that. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Pul- the Pulitzer Foundation mm-hmm. has basically said they've received the letter. They understand the issue. They're they're going to review it before they make any kind of decision or make any kind of full statement on it. Uh, I think they're going to slow walk it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think what's going to happen is is this is probably going to fade out. They have been trying to get this data for decades, going and in some cases going all the way back to the the late 1960s and early 70s. When we were talking about uh, talking about this among the the uh, APME, uh, which is the, the former organization, uh, former name of the uh, newsletters, right? ASNE, thank yeah. you. And and so 
they haven't been able to get the data because they don't want to release the data. Uh-huh. Because they they know that that data is bad. It's gonna make them look it's bad. Make and if they don't bad. have to, why volunteer Ex- it? Exactly. Why volunteer it? And and you don't have any governmental pressure that's gonna force them to do it. And and it, without something along those lines, it's just not gonna. Happen. Well, this is another well. argument for my national news league. <laughs> we can have a commissioner, and we can have a Rooney Rule, and we can just force those members to turn over the data. <laughs> Interesting, too, in looking at this, um, the signatories on the letter. A lot of affinity journalism organizations from affinity groups, not so much the big-name organizations likely to be contenders. Right, and the News Leaders Association isn't on there. Nope. No, they're not. Uh, And so I think think people are – and I think, honestly, I think it's a laudable effort, and something has to be done to shame people, but I also think – uh, it's do you penalize small organizations and reporters for small organizations that don't have the resources to file these reports? Right. That that would be a big problem, I think, okay. for the Pulitzers. Well, thank you. We are just about out of time for today's program. I'd like to thank you for spending the last half hour with us. Read more about each of the topics we talked about on our program today on our blog. That's at kbia.org. We're also available wherever you get your podcasts. Download those now.